Hot off the presses this month, a new viewpoint report from the CBRE Global Research Group breaks down the real estate capital markets and foresees a solid year for real estate investment. That's despite economic headwinds blowing back against the recovery trends that began last year. On this episode, we'll hear directly from some of the leaders who contributed to the report, look at the big picture, and put it all in perspective with one of CBRE's top advisors in debt capital markets. I will say the shop is still open. Business is getting done. So it's a changing dynamic. That's Val Actemeyer, Vice Chair in CBRE's Debt and Structured Finance Group. Based in Los Angeles, Val brings more than three decades of experience and expertise to help us make sense of the numbers, the trends, and where the markets may be heading. Coming up, a world of perspective and the latest CBRE viewpoint on the real estate capital markets. I'm Spencer Levy, and that's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take, and this week we're going to be talking about what everybody's talking about, the state of the commercial real estate capital markets with several of our leaders from around the world, in addition to Val Actemeyer, one of the smartest minds in debt and structured finance. Val, thanks for joining the show. Thank you, Spencer. We're speaking about the capital markets today for the reason probably most related to your area of expertise, the debt and structured finance markets. Um, I'm not telling you any secrets here. It's been a choppy ride over the last several months. It's been made worse by the rise of interest rates. It's made worse by the expansion of spreads. Val, in, in a few words, how do you see the markets today? Well, the markets are really dynamic is probably the most positive things we can say about it. But there's just a lot of movement, right? We always measure the debt markets you know, within a few metrics. How strong is the liquidity? How attractive is the pricing? You know, how favorable are the covenants? And, and really, what can we structure for our clients? And we've seen changes in all of those. You know, last year, liquidity was extremely abundant. Today, there is still liquidity, uh, depending on the asset type and profile, but it's definitely more constrained. And then we've also seen pricing interest rates across the board from core to opportunistic increase, both in terms of the index rates and the spread. So we've got less liquidity, higher interest rates, and more of a risk-off mentality with lenders. But I will say the, the shop is still open. Business is getting done. So it's a changing dynamic, which we expect. There's always cycles within any business model and certainly within the debt, debt environment. So Last year was really frothy. This year, it's a little more constrained. You obviously cover all of the debt and structured finance market, but you mm -hmm. primarily do industrial. Tell me about where pricing is today versus where it was in January for comparable assets. Sure. So our business model, we focus a lot on industrial and logistics assets and those deals in the sector we also are doing a lot of data center, which is flowing fairly closely right now, depending on the profile to industrial. But if we talk about industrial and logistics financing, in the beginning of the year in January, we had low index rates, meaning treasuries and, and the, the floating rate index were very low, and we had really low spreads. But we were really at historic lows, both in 2021 and in very early 2022, we started to see cracks kind of in February. You know, we're seeing the index rates creep up a bit in November, December, January. And by February, you're starting to really see 
a changing landscape. One thing that's interesting is last year in 2021, in general, bigger was better. Lenders were wanting scale. They were in diversity. It was really great for everyone because bigger was better, but there was money across the board. Right now, uh, depending on the size of the deal, it's really changing the depth of the market and pricing and round numbers. For a fixed rate deal today, instead of two and a half to three percent, you're four and a half to five in industrial, maybe say four and a half to four seven five. We have an inverted yield curve, so it's odd because you're actually paying more for a three or a five year loan than you would a seven or a ten. I just had a dialogue about that on a hundred million dollar deal and you know, really working with the client on the best strategy. Did they go three years and you know, pay almost five percent or they'd go seven years and pay four and a half, which sounds counterintuitive. But in, in general you're kind of four and a half to five uh, for fixed rate money. What's moved even more dramatically is the floating rate money because the SOFR, which is the short-term floating rate index, go from almost zero to 2.3% today and is forecasted to be 3.5% by December. That has had huge ramifications in the floating rate debt world. Given how strong the rent growth has been in industrial, uh, north of 20% or so last year and, and mm-hmm. still uh, well into the double digits this year, mm-hmm. Are some of our clients prepared to take negative leverage, meaning that they would take a cost of debt capital in excess of the cap rates that they're paying for the assets? You know, we are seeing that. It's becoming somewhat of a positive financial engineering environment, right? And so we're still seeing incredibly strong rent growth in many markets, Southern California, Northern California, Seattle, uh, New Jersey, you know, many places around the country. So we're really looking at the rent roll and trying to find opportunities. You know, historically, everyone just looked at 10-year fixed rate debt. Right now, in some cases, you're better off to even go short term and, and wait till you have that NOI growth. Loans are generally sized to either debt yield and debt service coverage or debt yield and or debt service coverage. Just for the purpose of our listeners, what a debt yield is, is the debt cap rate. So essentially, right. if your debt goes up to, say, of your capital stack and the cap rate you paid on an equity basis was, say, four, your debt debt yield might be six. Right. Correct. So a a typical sizing mechanism has been a debt yield, which is simple NOI divided by the loan amount. We're now seeing debt service coverage come into play. And even if you get an interest-only loan, most lenders are factoring that in, assuming a, a, a constant and an amortization of 30 years. So we're really being strategic and talking with our clients. We're always showing all the options, right? Here's what you do if you go 10-year fixed. Here's what you go if you go five or seven-year fixed. We could float, go short-term. Looking at the rent roll, we use CBRE forecasted rental growth and kind of show where we think that, that remarket will be on NOI. And, you know, if you're looking at your internal rate of return, in many cases, you're better off still to go short and plan on refinancing or selling and keeping that optionality to get those higher proceeds as NOI grows. So proceeds matter uh, a lot more sometimes than the interest rate. And so we do find some clients that will, on a short-term basis, accept negative leverage. If there's an avenue to get to that higher NOI relatively soon, it varies by clients. We're kind of finding if you can get to that higher NOI through either um, a contractual renewal or rolling to market with new tenants or a fair market renewal, you typically will find clients accept that for two to four years. It's harder to accept it for five, six, seven years because you get too negative. But getting those higher proceeds based on NOI growth, 
really, really helps your leverage IRR. Well, at this point, I'd like to bring another perspective into our discussion, namely Chris Ludeman, CBRE's Global President of Capital Markets. Here's Chris on what he's seen and heard from clients regarding the impact of rising interest rates. You know, I've been at this for more than four decades, so I've seen my fair share of cycles. This is a unique set of circumstances in that in most instances, in most geographies, and in most product sectors, fundamentals are actually quite good. But we're doing, we're seeing these valuation changes um, as a result of a math problem. The cost of capital, how capital wants to be paid, whether it's debt or equity, in the face of economic and geopolitical uncertainty as well as inflation, has caused um, investors on both the sell side and the buy side to enter a, a discovery period. And they're doing this on the heels of very robust activity in terms of how their assets have performed. So in a time like this, it is not uncommon that we'll experience fluctuation in availability of product as well as the appetite for capital on what to spend, where to spend it, and at what kind of expected yields so uh, they can satisfy their own investors. So Val, we just heard Chris Ludeman talking about market conditions and how because of the rapid increase in interest rates, there's been increase in uncertainty, and it may lead to some less product coming to market. Um, I don't know that that was actually our experience in the first half of the year where we had uh, near record deal volume as maybe some buyers accelerated their sell decisions partially because they had so much pent up gain. What's been your experience about the amount of product that's on the market, Val? What's really interesting, for the first half of the year, we have seen in the industrial and logistics sector, very strong volume. Some of that was baked in earlier because deals were in process. But I will say, in working very closely with our investment sales team, I think it's going to be a busy fall. Now, will everything trade? Maybe not. But I think buyers and sellers, there's a lot of discovery going on. I think a number of investors on the industrial side have made very significant profits, and some of them are considering that it still may make sense to sell. Um, Others have a long-term view and feel that it's incredibly hard to get entitlements for industrial. The rental growth is still really strong, and they believe in the sector. So it depends on the client. But we're still seeing strong trade volume both on sales and on the debt side. I will say debt has changed where you're seeing less long-term fixed rate debt right now. Sure. So let me go back to a word you just used, which is price discovery. Mm -hmm. And so Val, are we at a point now where we have a true reset to the market, where if you had, say, a core asset in the Inland Empire that had everything going for it a year ago and it was trading at a three, it's going to trade at something north of that today. I'm not going to put a number out there, but say 50 to 75 basis points higher. Have sellers said, okay, that's the new market I'm prepared to deal. Not all sellers have decided that. I think many sellers have decided they've made good profits and they need to move on to the next fund or there's a natural life of their investment period. We have some clients that really believe in the sector and feel there'll be a shift at some point in time in the interest rate environment and that the United States is going to be a great place to invest and they're not ready to accept the the lower returns. It really varies by clients. I think gradually people are getting used to a structural shift that we had unusually low interest rates for several years here. Um, And that was coupled with, at least in the industrial sector, 
the best supply demand fundamentals and rental growth that you've ever, we've ever seen. And so I think some people are accepting that there's going to be a, a bit of a new dynamic in terms of, of cap rates. Others believe it may shift. And that's the beauty of the industry, right? It's dynamic and we keep seeing it change. Well, another beauty of our industry, I think, is that this go around, we did not see the over leveraging problem that we saw back in the 07, 08 period. And so I think that many of our clients will have greater durability today to make that choice to buy, sell, or hold. And on that hold decision, we believe interest rates are going to drop starting in 24. So there is tremendous logic to just holding and waiting for the cost of debt to come back down. Right. I think at the asset level and at the corporate level in general, borrowers are in good shape. They're not over leveraged. Uh, They don't have a lot of other liabilities that are going to drag them down. We've had other cycles where, you know, people had really cash constraints, huge, huge, you know, significant cash flow considerations and demands. We're not really seeing that at this point anyway. And so it's really more of a how much profit do they want to take or whatever, at least in the industrial sector. We're we're not seeing any sense of desperation. Most importantly, the fundamentals are still staying strong. At the same time, I think there's a realization when you look at the forward curve, you know, hard to predict, but most people are thinking that, you know, treasuries are going to have a three handle on it for the foreseeable future. So, uh, Val, let me interrupt you here for a second. You use the word forward curve for the purposes of our listeners, but the forward curve is projecting out the yields for securities, for bonds, for corporate treasury bonds from three, five, 10, even 30 years out. Um, but uh, Val, you're suggesting that most of our investors believe that it's going to stay at around that 3% level for several years. Is that fair? Yeah. You know, when we look at the 10-year treasury rate, it's around 2.75%. We were up above 3%. We're following the forward curve, which is the forecast for treasuries and so far more closely than we ever have because we've seen such a rapid increase in those. We've seen the forward curve for treasuries calm down a bit and stabilize. But, you know, we got very used to treasuries being in the 1. 1.5, 1.75% range. When you look forward, What's being forecasted is more of a 2.75 to, you know, three or three and a quarter range for treasuries. So I think there's a realization that most investors are not expecting treasuries to get down in the 1.5% range again. Um, I think the credit spread or the risk premium still has a lot of volatility and that may move up and down. But we're following the curve a lot. And I believe most investors are expecting that to stay, you know, close to 275 or 3%. Well, I think the risk premium is not going to come down materially until two things happen. One is that we need to see more lenders come back into the market. Mm-hmm. That plus inflation coming down, I think, will make the market spreads come in. What do you think, Val? Yeah, I may add a few comments there. So w- the insurance companies have remained active. What we're seeing is that They either have literal or figurative allocations each year. And most of the large insurance companies have have had very, very strong production years. So candidly, they're just not that hungry to stretch and win. And so they're still doing deals. They're a lot more selective. They're out there. I really think on the LifeCo insurance side, we'll see liquidity get strong again as we move into 2023 because they always have allocations. It's true LifeCo Lenders follow the, the corporate bond market, but they also have a nice allocation to real estate. They've had very good performance with their real estate. There's not troubled loans. So I think you're going to see liquidity improve. 
were kind of the victim there that LifeCoats have placed a lot of dollars and they just, um, they just they, they're kind of tapped out a little bit for the rest of the year. On the bank side, we're seeing the stress test really play a factor right now. All the large banks are going through stress tests. What's happening is the banks aren't getting paid off as much as they were in the past two or three years. So there's been this big burn off over the last several years. And now a lot of people are just staying put. And then they're getting the stress test analysis and they just don't have as much balance sheet capacity. So they're also not quite as competitive or hungry. There are a number of very large banks that are essentially on pause. Will they do certain deals? Yes, but they're not hungry for a transactional basis just to do more business. And that's impacting larger loans more than it is medium-sized loans. We have seen the middle-tier banks really step up and, and perform well and, and stretch to win business, trying to lure some clients and get business. We're starting to see some early cracks in that, where they're also getting a little full and doing some testing. So we've seen a few of our middle-tier, medium-sized banks you know, start to pause a tad, um, we're hoping it's not a long-term effect, but I would keep an eye on that. We're starting to see them pause a bit as well. And then, you know, the debt funds, uh, which is really more of a bridge lending function, a little bit higher yielding, a little bit more of a transitional um, or opportunistic type thing. They're still in the market, but their cost of capital has went up dramatically. So we're seeing some retrading there, and we're seeing certainly spreads increase and the overall cost of capital for debt funds go up. The good thing is, depending on the sector, there's still liquidity, but there's definitely um, more constrained liquidity and there's a lot of price discovery. And I think a lot of that will come in as we see inflation begin to tick down. That will bring spreads in as the risk profile of the worst case scenarios get further off the table. Yep. Val, now is the perfect opportunity to share thoughts from our colleague, Brian Stoffers, CBRE's global president for debt and structured finance, who recently ended a stint as chair of the Mortgage Bankers Association. I just came from a mortgage bankers conference that was largely populated with single family lenders. And their pipeline of active applications in May fell off a cliff, as they put it. Uh, the Interest rate increases in the single family world are profound and having a very serious impact on everything in that arena. And there's discussion now of price declines, certainly more availability of housing that has been very, very tight over the last three or four years. So the, the attitudes seem pretty, pretty dismal on that side of the ledger. I would offer yeah. that commercial real estate is a little different, but we are going to feel some of the same types of pain ultimately, in my opinion. And I do think the likelihood of a recession later this year, next year is quite high. Well, Val, Brian Stoffers talked about some of the volatility in the banks related to single family, how it will bleed into commercial, and also use the R word recession. So Val, when you're speaking to your clients, the R word, recession, how much is that coming into play? The recessionary risk is a big factor, and I think our clients are definitely looking at it. You know, I, most of our clients believe we may enter a recession, but there'll be a soft landing. And as it relates to commercial real estate, it feels like we're at least not leading this into a recession at this point in time. As we mentioned earlier, most of our clients have solid balance sheets and they're not over leveraged. But it's a concern in certain sectors about 
the growth prospects uh, and and how to really forecast your business going forward. But I think there's a you know odds on uh, favorite that there'll be a, a recessionary environment, but hopefully a soft landing and not as severe as it could have been if no action was taken. If there's any silver lining to what is going to be what is and is going to be a challenging environment for some time, is that maybe some of the downturn in the single-family housing market will drop some of the prices of the commodities that are needed to build industrial and other classes, Uh, price of wood, price of concrete, and other things, but also the price of labor. So uh, we hope that the market balances itself out um, and the Fed does its job talking the market down rather than necessarily forcing it down. Well, there was definitely a bit of an asset bubble and a commodity bubble going on, right? So I think it's good to stabilize those things and have more sustainable growth. At least that's my opinion. I, I would agree with that. But let's now move on to a topic of ESG and its effect on the capital markets. For that, we turn to CBRE's head of capital markets in Europe, Chris Brett. Europe has been leading the charge in this area, so we asked Chris for a review on that priority and how ESG-related conversations continue to evolve, if at all. It is number one on the list of every bank, number one on the list of every buyer, every seller, every advisor, um, and every tenant, right? This is a tenant largely, I I believe, a tenant-driven change that we're going to see. The big impacts that we're seeing most recently has been embedded carbon and how that is affecting the redevelopment of assets, uh, which, you know, I don't think was necessarily as big an issue 12 to 18 months ago. Um, Not being able to take a building down is a big change in the way this is evolving. Uh, The focus on EPC, energy performance certification across different countries, the different regulations that are being brought in by the regulatory authorities across different European countries is having a massive, massive impact. And at no stage in any part of the sales process or an acquisition process are we able to get away from how big an issue ESG is. So Val, If we were having this conversation three years ago, I probably would have said, Val, ESG, or really the E, matters most, if not totally in the office sector, where the tenants are demanding it. And if you're not green, if you don't lead or Energy Star certified, good luck getting a uh, top quality tenant. But the world has changed. And I believe now we're seeing the need to be ESG compliant in all asset types, uh, increasingly in industrial What's your point of view and how is this impacting the market? We believe that ESG is going to continue to increase in importance and relevance. We're seeing more and more lenders and more and more investors considered a high priority. Um, so I, I think it's here to stay and it's going to grow in predominance. You know, So I'm, I'm with you. I think yeah, getting the lead certification and, and focus on your carbon footprint and, and being green is a, a big factor. And it's going to continue to grow in popularity and really the demands are going to be there. That It's, it's a smart business move to, to move in that direction. I'm also very much a big fan of governance as well. Uh, I'm a big proponent of diversity. And so we talk a lot about the energy aspect of it. But I'm also hoping we see more gains in true diversity and opportunities as well. Amen to that. And I think we are... are Still at the beginning stages there, though, um, we, we certainly uh, have heightened awareness of it, and we're seeing some results uh, from the board level down to our subcontractors. I think you'll eventually see uh, 
public pension plans demand a lot more on the governance side as relates to diversity. And I think they're going to force companies to share a lot more information and be more transparent. So it's something we should all be prepared for. I think we're already seeing it, already seeing it. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you a very specific question about lending and industrial for just a moment on the ESG front. I was speaking to a large European lender who was very ESG focused on the equity side, but said that on the debt side, they're not requiring it because it would put them out of the market, basically imposing another requirement on their borrowers. Uh, We're also not seeing a lot of the occupiers in many of the large industrial sites demanding green either. Uh, At least that's my perception. What's your perception on lenders requiring it and occupiers requiring it? I would agree with your context earlier comments that on the lender side, we're not seeing it be a requirement yet, uh, but I believe it's a preferred route. We're starting to see it become more prominent, but it's not a requirement at this point in time. We're getting some questions. A few of the European lenders will ask more questions about it. I think you're going to see it grow in popularity and really become more of a requirement. But right now, it's really getting led on the equity side more than the debt side. Got it. And the occupiers are sort of hit or miss on whether they require it? Hit or miss. I mean, candidly, historically, they've always looked at the cost differential. And I think you're starting to see that wane a little bit, right? And there was a big discussion for a long time about how much more the lead certifications cost and what you really got for it. But I think they're becoming more and more understanding uh, you know, to be socially responsible and also in a tight labor market, um, attract talent. So it's becoming an issue. But I think the equity side's definitely leading it more than the debt side. I think the debt's um, in arrears on that and they'll follow a little bit. They're lagging. Well, lead and Energy Star are important, but they aren't the only game in town anymore. Um, right. And I note with a plug to our friends on the GWS side, just wrote a whole paper on carbon capture. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope to have a future episode on that as well. But now let's pull back the lens for a moment and get more strategic, specifically on the question of debt versus equity investment at this point of the cycle. Here's Greg Hyland, head of capital markets in Asia Pacific. I think this is a difficult question to answer, and it really depends on what an investor's strategy. I think if you're looking at debt at this time of the cycle, obviously with rising rates, um, you can secure attractive returns and often on a first mortgage secured basis. So on a risk-adjusted um, the returns that can be achieved can be quite attractive, but generally in debt strategies, you're also capped on the total returns that you can make. Um, with regards to equity, we are starting to see some dislocations or the evidence of dislocations in markets as rate rises. So equity investments are going to still remain important and there could be opportunities that emerge um, if these if interest rates continue to rise um, and those groups that are forced or in a stressed position to sell, um, that equity investment could have find an attractive um, point of entry. So that brings up a very important question about capital flows from Europe and from Asia and how it's impacting the market. Uh, what I'm hearing is that because the U.S. dollar is so strong, it's hard for that money to come in because hedging costs are so high. How are you seeing foreign money impacting the market? How many foreign either buyers or lenders do you uh, work with? We definitely have a global reach when it comes to uh, capital on the debt side and also with clients. I've had a few observations. We're seeing some of the large infrastructure funds. We're doing a lot of data center financing. We have seen them be incredibly competitive on data center construction loans. A little bit different group than the traditional commercial real estate. 
And a number um, of the Asian and European uh, sources of capital are strong there in their infrastructure groups. I think it kind of ties in a little bit with ESG, a little bit different orientation. So we've continued to see that be strong. On the other side, we do a lot of triple net lease deals in the industrial world, right, with a lot of large investment-grade tenants. And there were a number of European banks that were really leading that sector. They couldn't get enough of the paper. And they've backed off, right? Um, There's a flood of certain credits out there. And so we've definitely seen some of the European banks uh, pause a bit on the triple net deals. Hey, everything's cyclical and there's things have to clear the market. But I would say we have seen the infrastructure side with some global capital actually increase in activity over the last six months and maybe be a little more competitive than some of the U.S. regulated banks. While we have seen some European banks that used to be very competitive at at white-hot pricing for triple net investment-grade deals slow down a bit. Well, I love what you're saying about infrastructure funds. And by the way, shameless plug, we're hoping to have an infrastructure episode on the weekly take soon. Great. Because I think it's such a big, important category that encompasses more than people think. It now encompasses data centers. It obviously encompasses traditional infrastructure, water treatment plants, roadways, transportation. Mm -hmm. Some might argue, does it cover logistics? And so I think that you might see that definition expand, which would bring more capital into our sector for traditional assets as well. I think so, too. I think we're going to see a lot more capital and competitive transactions in the infrastructure world. Um, Even we do a lot of municipal ground leases on our team. It's an expertise that we have um, with airports and ports uh, and marinas. And I think there'll be additional capital coming from the infrastructure funds for some of those. So we're starting to uh, do a number of transactions, bringing that relatively new source of capital to our clients. And it's accretive and uh, very beneficial. Great. I could speak to you for hours. Uh, I would also say, and I say this with uh, great affection, Val and my wife are good friends too. Every time we go to an event together, Val wants to hang out with her wife more than me. And I'm like, have at it. I do. We're great friends and, and companions and we have a lot of the same interests. So I can't wait to see her again. Oh, uh, well, I hope, I hope to get her out to one of our events soon so you guys can hang out. Excellent. But Val, we, uh, in, a, in the last minute or two, why don't you just give us your final thoughts on uh, where the debt capital markets are today? What's the basic advice you're giving to our clients? Yeah. Well, I'm trying not to overreact, right? I think we've had in, an incredibly low interest rate environment over the past few years with really robust liquidity. But our market is cyclical. Good projects and good teams continue to attract capital, continue to make money, and continue to make good investments. And what we're trying to do, and we are doing, is being a good strategic advisor that offers excellent optionality and outlines what can and can't be done. And we also like to search for that unicorn quote. Uh, We have a knack of finding a quote that's really an outlier that makes everything work. Um, You know, I used to hear anybody can give it away, and it's a little more of a challenge to get that outlier quote that really satisfies the clients and hits everything. It takes more effort. It takes more time. I personally don't think commercial real estate financing is a commodity. I think it's very relationship-oriented and knowing your client and their strategy and the product and really connecting the debt capital with your client uh, is an expertise. So we, we like to search to get that above average kind of excellent quote. And it's more challenging today, but we like challenges, right? We've had a few years, we're pretty easy. So it's, good. it's a good time to rise to the occasion. Well said, Val. On behalf of The Weekly Take, I am delighted to have our friend, 
colleague, Vice Chairman Val Actemeyer, one of the leaders of our debt and structured finance practice based in Los Angeles. Thanks for joining the show. Well, Spencer, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And I really, really appreciate the opportunity. And I can't wait to see you in person again. Can't wait to, Val. Thank you. For more on the debt capital markets and CBRE's Viewpoint Report, please visit our website, cbre.com slash the weekly take. We'll post a link to the complete viewpoint with all the analysis from the leaders featured on our show. Global President of Capital Markets, Chris Ludeman. Global President of Debt and Structured Finance, Brian Stoffers. Head of Capital Markets in Europe, Chris Brett. And Greg Hyland, Head of Capital Markets in Asia Pacific. We thank them all for offering their insights on our air. As always, our website features lots more information on our show, including ways to share the episodes. And you can also subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.